Hello and welcome to the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. If you have any questions or just need some prayer, please feel free to write to us through our website at thelatterrain.org. If you wish to hear our English audio messages, they're available for free as podcasts through iTunes. Just look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under Podcasts as Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. Sometimes it can be difficult to understand what we need to do in life, as in what decisions we need to make and do we know if the decisions we're making are right ones. And the only way that we can find out what we need to do personally is by having a true and real relationship with the Lord ourselves. One of the ways that we can find out what is right and wrong is by, of course, getting into His Word daily. And biblical history is one of those things that is contained in His Word that teaches us what people did in the past and what the outcome was. We don't need to go through our own painful and destructive experiences to learn something. We can simply learn through other people's experiences. This is one of the many reasons for why we need to develop our own relationship with the Lord. Please stay with us for a few minutes as we look into God's Word together. Let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord for his guidance. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O God, that you please forgive my sins, O Lord. And I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you please guide us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, that you help us to understand, that you help us, O Lord, to understand that the only way we will get through anything and to get to you is by strengthening our relationship with you, Lord God. Help us to understand that our relationship with you is everything to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to be reading today from Second Kings chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned forty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple, wherever any dilapidation is found. Now it was so by the twenty-third year of the king Jehoash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So king Jehoash called Jehoiada the priests and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Then Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar, on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was, whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags, and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave the money, which had been apportioned, into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. 
and they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to masons and stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone, to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, they were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priest. Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all of the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Isaiah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house, and set them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the millow, which goes down to Sela. For Jessachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehoshabad, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. As we have shared before, Biblical history is provided to us as an example. That is one of the great values of the Word of God. History has a tendency to repeat itself in one way or another. But what we see throughout history is cause and effect or the if-then concept. That if something is either done or not done, then sooner or later there is a corresponding consequence to that action or inaction. The concept is of universal truth. And that is how history works, how the present works, and how the future will work. There is no escaping consequences. And that's why, while we live our time here on earth, is that we should get into biblical history. So that if we are wise, then we will avoid a lot of hardship and negative consequences. Does that mean that everything will be perfect? Of course not. Because sin is in this world, it's in your neighbor, it's in you. But negative impacts in your life will be reduced. At the same time, the Bible teaches us that we should live out our lives in a way that benefits us in heaven. Because if we are in Christ, we are heaven bound. We should not try to focus on much on the here and now and on what we want here and now because the here and now will one day go away. Nonetheless, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 to 12 tells us about the concept of learning from the past where it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. The Apostle Paul teaches us here very clearly that we need to learn from that past, that it is in our best interest, because whatever happened to those that preceded us will happen to us sooner or later. Consequences are inevitable either here on earth or when we stand judgment before the Lord. Now, I don't want to pick on teenagers, but a lot of teenagers have the mentality that certain things went wrong for certain people because they were not smart enough or prepared enough. There are many teenagers out there, a lot of old teenagers, if you will, with this mentality that they feel that they are smarter and better prepared and that they will somehow be exceptions to the rule. And this has been a historical flaw throughout the generations that there have always been people that think that are smarter than the last group or than other people in the past, so they foolishly ignore history. They willingly choose to ignore other people's experience and they feel the need to have their own experiences, their own shot at circumstances, thinking that they can face life on their terms. You can't face this life on your terms. Your terms and your opinions and your desire to go against the odds have no impact on reality. You can't fight reality and you can certainly not avoid reality. I have to say that I really like watching movies, for instance, especially where there is like a hero or something like that. But I think we as people need to understand that movies are for entertainment in general. I remember that when I was a kid, Superman had come out in movie theaters, the one with Christopher Reeve. Now, I, I know I'm dating myself here, but and I and like most kids. Yep, that's right. I tied a towel or a sheet around my neck and pretended to fly. I would jump off of sofas and beds and tables thinking that I could have that so special ability of being able to fly. I learned through trial and error that I was not Superman and that I was not able to fly. And that was a learning experience for me, that not everything that you see in movies is true. There's a lot of make-believe in movies. I watched a lot of cartoons also when I was a kid growing up and my favorite was Tom and Jerry along with Bugs Bunny on Friends. I knew, however, that it was not a good idea to drop anvils on people's heads or, or throw irons around or use fireworks to kill mice inside my house. It was okay for cartoons, but not for me. And so I would just sit down and enjoy myself and took cartoons for what they were. Cartoons, not reality. But for some reason, some people believe that movies are real and that cartoons are real. At least that is the way they're living their lives. They think that they have superpowers or super abilities, that they're able to be the exception to many different circumstances because they think they are special, at least more special than the other folks that failed in the past. Are you starting, are you starting to get the picture of what I'm trying to explain here? They seem to think that if certain things that aren't real look like they work in TV and in movies, that those things will work for them as well. It sounds ridiculous. I hope that it sounds ridiculous to you. But that is what seems to be happening with many people. Or maybe not with TV or movies, but with any other media. They believe the lies, the make-believe, and they neglect the truth of God. And this leads to a delusional kind of lifestyle. I have to tell you that the first one in line of having delusional issues is Satan. Satan still thinks he can be God. I don't know what cartoon or movie he's watching. And so he tries to sell his delusion to everyone else. And one of the main delusions he sells to people 
is that what he tells you to do is good and that whatever God says to do doesn't make sense. That's the sell. And herein lies a problem with falling into Satan's traps. That we each have responsibilities like this king that we read about. We may not be kings, but we each have a responsibility with people in our lives and especially with our own lives, with our own actions. No one lives in a bubble free from consequences. Everything that we do, for better or for worse, has a consequence and an impact. That is one of the major lies of Satan and it's sold throughout society that you can do anything you want as long as you don't hurt anyone else. If it's sin, there's always someone that will get hurt. It may be possible that certain things, your sin may not impact anyone else, but I find that very hard to believe. But in the best of circumstances, sin always hurts someone. It always starts by hurting you. And so you have a responsibility with yourself. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 14, verse 10 to 12, that we will give an account for ourselves. For it says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Luke chapter 12, verse 41 to 48 explains to us also the concept of consequences and accountability, where it says this, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make him ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master's delay in his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do accordingly to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 to 13 also expands about the word of God and how that opens the door for accountability, where it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 10 teaches us also about personal accountability, where it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And the last example, because there are many, many instances in the Bible that we're taught about responsibility and accountability. We read in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, where it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country 
who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went ahead and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there what you have is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you see, responsibility and accountability are all over the Bible, even in the New Testament passages where we've cited only but a few. If someone teaches you that there's no accountability in Christ, they are terribly mistaken. And for your own sake, you should ignore them. They are setting you up for failure. In the last passage we saw, we saw a talent. And I will cut to the chase, if you will, rather than getting to some sort of long theological discussion. The talent is Christ. The treasure we are given is Christ. And it is a gift because we are given him through faith and grace, but with a purpose. God is investing in us, in those that have made a decision to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are given the unmerited opportunity for eternal life and eternal greatness. We are saved but for a reason and a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, wraps these concepts very clearly together, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we cannot take our salvation in Christ lightly. We cannot just say, I'm saved and I have nothing else to be concerned with. We are his workmanship. We were created in Christ through Christ for good works. And that has always been God's plan, God's purpose. The creator created and saved his creation through his own son's sacrifice, but for a purpose, a reason, a why, not just because. 
And if we understand this, then we should understand that we need to develop our own relationship with the Lord. We cannot look to others or depend on others for it. Others that have acquired more experience in their relationship with the Lord can help, but we cannot necessarily depend on them. We need to have our own walk because we are liable for our own actions. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to 17 gives us this godly advice on how we need to walk where it says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. We receive the spirit of God when we're born again. We are not left to our own devices. And of course, the Spirit of God will guide you through the Word of God, not through what society tells you what is right, not through the world's wisdom, and not even through your own opinions and ideas, but rather through the inerrant and perfect Word of God, which is God's entire counsel to man. And as we pass through this life, if you will, because we don't belong to this world anymore when we come to Christ, we become outsiders, but yet part of something greater and eternal, a holy and eternal nation, the kingdom of God. And as such, we then have an audience similar to the king we read about at the beginning. Every single person has an audience. Today, we were either reading or hearing audience of what this king did. And we have formulated an opinion of this person's summarized life. The same is happening with you at this very instant. Whether you see them or you don't, whether you realize it or you don't, you have witnesses all around you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to 2 explains this in this manner. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we have an audience, a cloud of witnesses, and they are observing us. And one day we'll be judged by the ultimate watcher or witness, if you will, by the Lord himself. This king that we read about did what was right while the priest was alive, but something went wrong after the priest was no longer there. He did something wrong that cost him dearly. He paid for his mistake with his life. What happened with him? Why did he make a decision like that? We can deduce from the details of the passage that he took his lead from the priest Jehoiada because the other priests didn't seem to be that good, unfortunately. The others didn't really do anything to help repair the temple, for starters. They just sat around and collected, even after the king charged them with the responsibility. Not much has changed between then and now with regards to people doing what they need to, right? And that is why we need to worry about what we are doing. The priests and pastors and preachers and so on are all accountable for all their actions. And whether they do right or wrong, that is not necessarily our problem. We're also accountable for what we do. God is not going to ask us about what other people have done. He will ask us about what we did individually. And so we should always be concerned about our audience. And that audience is God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 to 14 summarizes things pretty well where it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every good work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so, what would be written of you? What would the pages of the book of your life say about what you did or didn't do? What do your works look like? Is the basis for your works fearing God and keeping his commandments? And here is one final thought regarding why we need to develop our own relationship with the Lord. That our complete trust needs to be on him. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 to 10 says the following. Thus says the Lord. Curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be grain and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. We need to look for our direct guidance in the Lord. We cannot trust man. If we trust in man, and this includes ourselves, we'll only bring curse into our life. The curse that comes upon us when we trust in people may not necessarily be punishment, but rather it is a natural consequence because we are all very imperfect and imperfection cannot be trusted. We need to take our lead from the Lord himself, from his word, through our own personal and intimate relationship with him, through the Holy Spirit. That is why that everything I try to explain is not based on an opinion. But I try to be led by the Spirit and based on the Word of God. I give you a lot of reading as you've seen. I cannot share my own ideas and concepts and substantiate them with the Word. That's what a lot of people do, which is wrong. It should be the other way around. The Word of God is where all conversations should start from and then helping understand what it says. And so, we can listen to other people, but always need to check for ourselves what the Word of God says. Just because someone cites a passage to you to substantiate what they're saying doesn't mean that what they're saying is right. You need to look at the whole picture as a witness yourself. For instance, what is their testimony? What are they trying to teach you? Does it agree with the whole counsel of God or only parts of it? Is this what the Spirit is leading me to do? Or does this just sound appealing to what I want to hear? Or it aligns with my sinful desires? If there is one thing that is extremely critical with following the Lord and maintaining a good relationship with Him is being honest with Him, with others, but most importantly, with yourself. Honesty and sincerity with the Lord, with others, and with yourself should be a part of the very foundation for everything you do. We all need to have and develop our own personal genuine and intimate relationship with the Lord. We cannot put our complete trust in other people or ourselves. Our complete trust needs to be on the Lord. How can we cultivate our own relationship with God? As we have mentioned in times past, 
We need to be born again. We need to have Christ in our lives, in our hearts, and we effectively need to make Him the Lord of our lives. He needs to be our leader, our master, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit will always point the direction to Him, to His Word. And when we have that relationship, like every relationship, it needs to be maintained. Communication is the key to any relationship, and our relationship with the Lord is no different. We need to spend time with Him daily, and we need to have communion with Him, which means that we speak to Him through prayer. That's why prayer just can't be repeating a bunch of things over and over. And we let Him speak to us through His Word. And so, keeping a strong and vibrant relationship with the Lord is a very practical thing because if you let Him speak to you through His Word daily, that's the only way you will learn for yourself what it is that He wants you to do. Reading and studying the Word of God daily is the only way that you will grow and strengthen your faith. This is what we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It doesn't get any clearer than this. Getting into the Word of God and living it daily is the only way that you will become complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's the only way that your relationship with the Lord will thrive. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I praise you and I worship you, O Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to understand the, the importance of our soul, of our spirit, Lord God. And that the only way that we're, we're ever going to be able to get through this world and get to you get to heaven is by having a genuine and real relationship with you and Heavenly Father help us to understand that that relationship can only work through your son Jesus Christ and through through following your word just as it is Lord God respecting your word that your word is ultimate truth and that we need to live it within our lives and that we cannot live life in our own terms and what we think is right and wrong and what other people necessarily tell us what is right and wrong. We need to live our lives according to your word, according to your truth. Heavenly Father, together with this, help us to be honest and sincere with ourselves. Help us not to lie to ourselves, to least of all follow the lies of Satan and the things that are taught to us as truth, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to be zealous of your truth. Help us to look for your truth, to earnestly seek out what is your will and your desire for us, Lord God. And to be careful with the things that we listen to. Heavenly Father, I, I give you thanks and I praise you, Lord. Help us to keep in mind, Lord God, that at the end of the day, or rather at the end of our time, we will all stand before you and all opinions and all influence will not matter at that point. The only thing that will matter then is what you say is right and wrong. Not what we think, not what others have told us, but what you say. And the only thing that we have now in this world that tells us what you say is your word. Help us, O oh Lord God, that we need to understand that we need to have 
a very good and close relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please feel free to join us next time as we continue looking into God's Word together. If you would like to write to us, you can do so through our website. Our web address again is thelatterrain.org. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.